Blog Talk Radio. Tonight on Dr. Anonymous Show 167, that's right, 167 shows, come on, you know, show me some love there. Uh, my guest coming up will be a family physician and good friend of mine, Dr. Jay Lee. He is the health policy director at the Long Beach Memorial Family Medicine and received his master's in public health from Harvard University. We'll be talking about social media, family medicine, advocacy, a lot more. I'm excited about this. All that on the Dr. Anonymous show starting right now. Right. Welcome to the show that is passionate about medicine and social media. Since 2007, this is the Dr. Anonymous show live on a Thursday night here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm, of course, your favorite physician host. My name is Mike Savella, but my friends, like all of you out there in Internet land, I see you out there. You can call me Dr. A, and you can always find me at DrAnonymous.com. That brings you the most current show schedule. And let me tell you, kids, coming up in June, we have an awesome show schedule. Go over to DrAnonymous.com and check that out. Also, some blog posts and also some TV interviews, including one this very day today. I've been up since 4 o'clock this morning, so I'm kind of punchy, so I'm very excited about that. You can also go to DrAnonymous.net. It brings you to the Facebook fan page. Shout out to all 225 people who like the show or who are Facebook fans or however Facebook does that now. And also it can get you some exclusive behind-the-scenes video of me actually doing this show. Very exciting. You can also go to DrAnonymous.org. That brings you to the iTunes page of this show. You can download every show Get all you can handle of Dr. Anonymous and leave a comment over there as well. I'd very much appreciate that. You can also listen in real time on your iPhone, Blackberry, Palm Pre, Droid, whatever other mobile device you have. Just direct your mobile browser to blogtalkradio.com slash Dr. Anonymous and you can listen in real time on your mobile device. Today is Thursday, May 26. 7, 2010. It is 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific, and it is still 79 degrees Fahrenheit here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. Our guest coming up is a friend who I've known kind of from a distance for a long time until recently. Um, as I mentioned on my blog, I was at a meeting earlier this very month in Kansas City where a bunch of family docs got together to talk about family uh, advocacy, go family docs. And when I got there, I tried to figure out who was using social media, and I found the Twitter guy, at 
family, Doc Wonk, that is our guest, Dr. Jay Lee. So I got to hook up with some Twitter Roonies out there in Kansas City. So uh, glad he came on the show to, uh, uh, to hey, be part of the uh, social media fun. <laughs> and as I've mentioned before on recent shows, it's really – I've really kind of felt of a calling to share the story of Family Medicine and Family Docs because I believe in my heart that Family Docs are the solution to the healthcare problem that is going on in this country right now. And one of my wild and crazy dreams, I know it's nuts, are to get more Family Docs into social media like blogs, podcasts, video, etc. A kind of a Family Medicine social network to tell the story of family medicine. Maybe our guests will have some thoughts on that coming up. But first, I'd like to thank Blog Talk Radio for featuring the show again on their front page again here this evening. And for those of you who are new to the show, welcome to the show. I have been a social media hobbyist since 2005. And if you're curious, yes, I am a family physician, a real physician here in full-time private practice meaning I see patients five days a week in the hospital and in my office here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. And if you're listening live, you can see my shining face on the webcam here this evening. If you're new to the show, just go to the top of the chat room, click on the webcam icon, and you can see me do the show right before your eyes. And just to let you know, yes, there is uh, the audio and video does not match up, but you'll get the idea. Um, and before we go to the break here, a couple of things. I do want to give a big shout-out to the people in my chat room here. We have Kat. We have a guest. I encourage the guests or guests uh, to register here at Blog Talk Radio, uh, and you'll be able to chat along and make fun of me during the course of the show. And also J-Man, Jill of All Trades, MD, med student, 31. Welcome back. I know you can, first show was last week, so welcome back. And also... Our good friend Ramona is in the show, is in the chat room here this evening. Uh, and before I go to the break as well, I do want to thank the California Academy of Family Physicians for placing a link on their Facebook page. Welcome to those of you who are tuning in because of that and to all the new listeners to the show. So I will take my break. And uh, following the break will be the one and only Dr. Jay Lee. I'm excited about this. Uh, You're listening to the Dr. Anonymous Show, a member of the Family Medicine Education Consortium. You can get there by going to fmec.net and also a member of the Better Health Network at getbetterhealth.com and also a member of the ProMed Network, a podcast. You can get there by going to promednetwork.com. We'll be right back.
That's right, lowering your blood pressure one point at a time. This is the Dr. Anonymous Show live on Blog Talk Radio. On the line we have with us right now, my good friend, Dr. Jay Lee. Welcome to the show there, my brother. How's it going, Mike? Good, good, good. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time. I appreciate it. Of course. I'm uh I'm actually really excited to be here and uh, uh looking forward to see this is a new venture for me, so uh radio. And uh as I mentioned this morning in a post, I've been uh practicing my vocal exercises to make sure that I don't sound like a total idiot on the radio. <laughs> no, I'm the only total idiot on the show, so uh so you're so you're fine there. Uh so uh so yeah, so we we, we got to chatting a lot earlier this month, uh at the big uh, family medicine meeting and uh so uh uh you know one of the one of the guys or one of the people that are using social media there, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but I, I always like to start out with a real, uh, real hardball question. There, uh, uh, starting out, uh, um, as far as you know, what, uh, you know, what, uh, what is so cool? What do you enjoy about your job? What do you enjoy about family medicine? Well, what's not to love about being a family doctor? Uh, you know, you get to use your entire brain uh, to take care of patients. Um, at their time of greatest need, uh, from cradle to grave, and uh, to be able to work with colleagues who share this ethos uh, of, of taking care of the whole patient, and you know, love their jobs as well, and uh, and it goes beyond just kind of working in the clinic or working in the hospital, but really kind of thinking about this a little bit bro- more broadly in terms of um, getting outside of the office and wanting to make the community healthier as well. Great. Cool. Cool. So, um, so uh, take me back here a little bit uh, as far as growing up and uh, um, tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, how did you find yourself getting um, interested in medicine in general and, and applying to medical school kind of in the first place? Well, um, when I was in college, I uh, was interested in science and interested in health and, you know, took all the pre-med courses. And an opportunity actually sprung up for me to to work uh, with a non-governmental organization in Central America, uh, specifically El Salvador. And so when this opportunity came across my email inbox, I kind of sat there and thought, well, you know, I'm kind of young. Um, I, I haven't had that much life experience, and I've always wanted to do some traveling and combine that with doing some good. So I took the opportunity to apply uh, to this program, uh, which was called Geomed, and I, I got in, and I got to work with a group of about 15 to 18 young people who received some training uh, as EMTs, and we got to work with uh, some of the local physicians in uh, various parts of El Salvador. Um, I I happened to be stationed in an area where there was a lot of heavy guerrilla fighting, and uh, this was about four years after the Civil War had ended, so there was a, a need for a lot of health infrastructure to be put into place. And... From there, uh, really kind of saw how important public health and, and good primary care were to people and to communities and came back 
uh, the states uh, really charged up to do that and fortunately got into med school and uh, the rest is sort of history. So when you were in med school then um, um, did you want to do primary care from the start or did or was it was there was it like third year like a lot of people or kind of what what drew you further towards uh, family medicine as a residency? Yeah, I, I I came into med school thinking that I would be a pediatrician, uh, largely because I felt like this was the population that I could affect positively the most. Um, and as I started to go through the process, uh, I started to layer in, well, maybe I don't want to spend my entire work life uh, dealing with only children, and I do like adults. And so MedPete started to enter the picture, and my advisor um, at the time said, well, gee, you know, you've got some great um, skills that are um, going to make you a, a, a good primary care physician. Have you thought about family medicine? And uh, ironically enough, this person was a, a med, uh, medicine pediatrics dual-boarded specialist, and um, I said, oh, family medicine, and um, really actually started to think about it at that point, and then realized that family docs, in addition to taking care of peds, pediatrics, and uh, medicine patients, they, we do a lot of office procedures, uh, we uh, do follow patients to the hospital, um, and there really is kind of an a aspect of taking not only care of not only the whole person, but also entire families. And that really appealed to me, and um, it just gained momentum. And ironically enough, on my uh, surgery rotation, I decided, you know what, I'm going to apply to family medicine. Wow. And then, uh, and what, what, so, so when I see kind of like your Facebook page here, so, so you went to med school in California, but you did your master's in public health at, at Harvard. How, how did that happen? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. I... Um, the public health aspect has always been kind of in my back pocket. I, I, when I applied to med school, I had applied to public health school as well as medical school. And um, I got into medical school, and I decided I was going to proceed with that. And it was still kind of burning in the back of my mind. And um, when I was finishing up with residency, I had applied for a fellowship program in uh, minority health. And as part of the uh, sort of the pre, uh, uh, prerequisite for getting into the program, you needed to be accepted um, at uh, the Harvard School of Public Health and have your acceptance before they would even consider um, interviewing you. Uh, I did get into the program for public health. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get the fellowship, but here I had this ticket to go to Harvard School of Public Health, and I kind of sat on it actually for a year. I ended up deferring, uh, talking it over with my wife. We were trying to figure out uh, the best way to sort of go about making this, making this happen in our life. And what we ultimately ended up deciding to do was to live 3,000 miles apart uh, while she, uh, who's a pediatrician, um, uh, in practice here in, in California, stayed at her practice, and um, I flew east, and we flew back and forth to see each other during that year. Wow. Uh, so it a, yeah, it was a tough decision from a family standpoint, yeah. but 
um, I think from a career standpoint, you know, she supported me and she said to me, you know, I have a feeling if I say no, I'm going to be hearing about this for the rest of my life. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so did you, you did you complete your residency and then you did your MPH or how or did you do the coursework in the midst of that? How did that work? Yeah. So what I did was um, I applied to the program in my third year of residency, and if I had gone straight, I, I would have basically finished residency and uh, moved east. Uh, what we decided to do instead was to defer for a year. And during that year, I worked at a community health center uh, where I got to work on some public health projects, which was great, and, um, and then decided to make the move the following year. So it, it was about a year out from residency that um, I began my public health training. Hmm, okay. Um... And then, so what kind of is is that, so is is that a lot of uh, I, I presume a lot of classroom work and and that type of thing for that year then? That is correct. Um, it's basically for physicians um, or medical students, any anyone who's working towards or has an advanced degree. It was a one year program, um, so basically two years worth of master's work was condensed down into one. And, um, yeah, it, w- it was quite busy, um, partly because I was also moonlighting um, at an urgent care at a community health center and uh, flying back to see my wife uh, because I love her. Oh, nice. Um, so then, uh, so how did you end up in the position that you are now at uh, in the residency program there? Yeah, so um, my concentration at uh, Harvard was um, in healthcare management and policy. And um, basically, the coursework that I did uh, was, was to sort of fill the void um, that I felt, the knowledge void that I felt um, in, in my training with regards to understanding how the health system affects our ability to take care of patients on the ground. And um, when I was looking for a job, I wanted to continue being a clinical doctor, being able to take care of patients. And one of the things that I feel is really important is that um, people who are in training, uh, like residents and like medical students, really need to be exposed to these health policy ideas um, at an early point in their career because basically what ends up happening is people leave training without some of that training and they um, kind of get punched in the face. They realize, gee, this is a really difficult system to work with and I don't really know how to navigate it as a physician. And so what I'm trying to do is trying to bring that sort of upstream world of policymaking very much downstream to uh, the resident level so that at least they're aware of the concepts that are out there, so that they're not totally run over when they when they leave uh, when they leave residency and um, enter the real world. Um, so how how do you interact with your with your program now with your um, with this uh, with this title of director? You uh, uh, you work with the residents. You do um, uh, research papers or how? how um, I, well, I, let me ask it this way: like. How, how much of your time is uh, broken up as far as uh, clinical work, as far as seeing patients, and as far as administrative work? 
Yeah, so it's about um, it's about fifty fifty. I mean, I, you know, I'm seeing patients uh, in the office. I have uh, uh, three days a week that I that I see patients, um, and then uh, there's some time that I devote to um, precepting the, the resident clinic, and then uh, with the remainder of my time, um, there are administrative uh, things like you know evaluations and whatnot. And then I've got some protective time that I use to um, build the, the health policy curriculum and then also look for um, opportunities for getting involved in research and things like that. I, I'm not really um, a researcher per se, but uh, the way I sort of see, view the work that I do is to educate and to connect the right pieces together uh, to sort of create some synergy. And that's really kind of what I've been able to do over the last few years. And I, it's, it's just kind of in its infancy, and I'm really grateful to my work colleagues at Memorial Family Medicine to, to, to give me the space and the time and um, the energy uh, to pursue these things. Uh, we're just joining us. Welcome to the uh, Dr. Anonymous show live on Blog Talk Radio. Our guest uh, on the line here is Dr. Uh, Jay Lee, a uh, family doctor extraordinaire uh, and uh, um, why don't we kind of shift gears here a little bit? Um, uh, uh, we talked a lot earlier this month um, at the uh, AAFP meeting, uh, American Academy of Family Physicians meeting in Kansas City, about uh, yeah, just just about things in general as far as uh, you know leadership um, and advocacy. Um, and you know, I, I admit, you know, even myself, you know, uh, here being uh, at the grassroots here every day gets very frustrating. Uh, but uh, getting out there really kind of re-energizes me and, and talking with people um, uh, and, and seeing what's important uh, to them. Um, you know, I, I've been to that meeting a, a number of times, and it, it, it never, uh, uh, it, it never, uh, I never get bored getting there because I, I meet new people and uh, get to see what they're really, uh, they're really passionate about. So let, let me ask you specifically about that meeting as far as, um, you know, and, and I guess family medicine leadership in general is that, you know, I, I think us as family docs really, you know, we have a calling uh, to, to, uh, to lead, to, to, to be advocates for our patients. And uh, I know that's, that's stuff that, that you and I and our colleagues out there uh, talked about a lot. Yeah, and I, and I think um, you, you touched on something that's really an important aspect of, of family medicine is that advocacy component. And by the way, you should give yourself a little bit more credit than that. You, you were actually the convener of that meeting at one point, if I remember correctly. Uh, um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, three years ago, right? That's right. <laughs> um, uh, and so advocacy, I think, is a really big part of family medicine, um, uh, whether that be, uh, you know, kind of the individual patient level or um, speaking up. Um, and, and showing up, because uh, that, that's certainly uh, an aspect of leadership where sometimes you show up at a meeting and they see the MD or DO on your badge and they look to you for answers. And I think as family physicians, uh, we have that responsibility to um, advocate on behalf of our patients. And um, as you mentioned, um, sometimes there are things that are um, – sort of system problems that aren't necessarily related to a patient's biology or a patient's um, uh, sort of uh, home life, but uh, kind of have to do more with the neighborhood they live in, their access 
to fresh food, uh, their access to open spaces to exercise. And, and I think that's where um, advocacy has a real spillover effect into public health uh, for family physicians. And I think historically we've been kind of moving those two elements away, clinical medicine and public health. And I think as we start really looking at um, costs and health in this country, um, we, we really need to look to bring those two things back together. And I think that's where this advocacy component of primary care and family medicine is critical. Um, and we need to develop that within ourselves because I don't think we're quite fully mature yet uh, to be able to do it fully. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a good thing that, that you bring that up. And I'm, I'm going to, um, I've been trying to find a way to bridge this topic. Um, and, you know, one of the things is family docs in, in from an organizational standpoint, whether you're the AFP or AMA or, you know, one of these huge national medical organizations, um, one of the things that um, these big organizations are um, having a challenge with now uh, is uh, membership, uh, and there's a lot of different explanations for that, which we won't get into because it's very complicated. Um, but it really kind of comes down to money sometimes, as far as you know, funding the organization. Um, you know, there's a lot of these organizations that are having the same challenges uh, that other organizations have, especially when it comes to like revenue. A lot of uh, these organizations, even not in medicine. Um, you know, are not having the um, the ad revenue that they've had before. Um, there are a, a lot of information is on the internet now, so they're not having any kind of magazine revenue, which is huge for a lot of organizations. So a lot of these organizations now are trying to find uh, creative ways to get funding for the organization. So, and I explain this to the audience because this is kind of going to bridge to our next to our next topic is that. You know, uh, one of the ways that these organizations um, uh, are trying to find money is, is, is forming partnerships with different type of companies. Um, and to kind of break this down a little bit before we get really complicated, uh, to break this down a little bit for the audience is that, you know, uh, earlier this month um, at, our, uh, <clears throat> um, at our family practice, family medicine meeting, uh, there was a discussion that took place as far as, you know, our organization, you know, uh, partnering with um, the Coca-Cola company um, for education um, and for funding for some topics. And um, especially those in the circles of family medicine, uh, there was a lot of discussion when that happened, um, but it kind of, uh, there was another discussion that uh, um, happened again at this meeting earlier this month. So that's kind of the setup for um, uh, for what we're going to be talking about, our next topic here. Um, so, so Jay, kind of uh, uh, maybe just kind of talk about a little bit um, what uh, your colleagues were talking about in, in California um, as far as, you know, when this happened um, and what the discussion was, uh, especially, you know, with a medical organization partnering with somebody like Coca-Cola. Yeah, and you're right. This is a very complicated uh, topic, and I'll, I'll try my best to uh, simplify this uh, or distill it down to its, its key elements. Um, so a little background, I, a little bit more background, I guess. Um, when um, I was a delegate for the, national, for the special constituency group um, out of this, um, uh, the AFP body, 
uh, in Boston back in the fall, uh, there was a town hall meeting, and um, the town hall meeting talked a lot about health care reform. Uh, that was probably about 80, 90 percent of the, the meeting. And kind of snuck in at the very end was uh, this discussion about um, a new consumer alliance program uh, with Coca-Cola Company. And, you know, the immediate reaction was, really? Uh, we're a physician group that believes in public health, and isn't there some conflict of interest here? Um, and there wasn't really an opportunity at that meeting to uh, fully form ideas uh, because, you know, it, 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 it doesn't help to just be reactionary. It, it's important to uh, make knowledge-based decisions, uh, to look at the information that we have and decide about, uh, upon a plan of action. Um, out of that um, meeting uh, came a discussion uh, amongst uh, the board members of the California Academy of Family Physicians about what, what does this signify, um, and is this something that we as a group agree with, um, you know, on an ethos level, um, on a public health level? And I don't think it sat well with a lot of us. Um, and, in fact, there was a press conference of uh, family physicians in the San Francisco Bay Area, all of whom um, decided that they were going to rescind their memberships in the American Academy of Family Physicians and the California Academy of Family Physicians. Later we found out that not all of them actually were members <laughs> of the organization. Um, but um, nonetheless, you know, this was uh, clearly um, an example of something where it, it created a very passionate reaction. And um, so when we started to think about, well, how do we best um, approach this from a policy and democratic way, um, we started to formulate ideas around uh, resolution, uh, and, the, and the process of doing this is a resolution gets written that has various whereas clauses that set up the, sort of set up the, set up the story, and then you have resolve clauses that asks the organization to uh, do certain things on behalf of the membership. And so there were two resolve clauses in California's um, initial draft. And uh, one was to um, rescind the contract with Coca-Cola Company, which you know, may or may not be possible at this late game uh, since it was a one-year contract. Um, but nonetheless, uh, we wanted that to be out in public, that, that that's the way that we felt and that's the way that we thought. And then uh, the other one was uh, a little bit more difficult uh, to put into words, and, and I think we're still in the process of um, figuring out how best to frame this so that um, it is agreeable to people, and that is um, that uh, the Academy should uh, think very carefully uh, about the message that it sends when it partners with companies like the Coca-Cola Company, and, and not to say that um, uh, not to say that Coke itself is bad, but we know from a public health standpoint that uh, sugary beverages uh, certainly are a root cause of obesity, and, and you know a lot of that has to do with personal behavior as well. But the fact that those are available and relatively cheap um, certainly have led to the obesity epidemic in our country, and it just go, runs counter to some of the things that we've been doing on an advocacy level um, in the state, like getting getting sodas out of schools, 
um, improving nutrition labeling uh, in the state of California, and um, other efforts that have been made um, either, either locally or on a statewide level um, to, to fight the obesity epidemic. Um, okay. And, um, yeah, uh, uh, and a lot of that discussion uh, was, was, I mean, was at this meeting, and, uh, and you and I talked about it. We were kind of in the back of the room, and uh, um, we just kind of encapsulated what um, was probably, I would guess, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 minutes of a discussion going back and forth. And just to let people know, um, it was very civil, you know, and there was a lot of, a lot of good points brought out, uh, and uh, it wasn't like kind of a big shouting match or anything like that. Um, but I guess it, it, it brings up kind of a, a bigger picture as far as, well, you know, a, a lot of people said, well, I mean, it's, you know, it, it used to be, um, you, know, uh, you know, these type of meetings or especially medical organizations would get money from pharmaceutical uh, companies. And uh, they said, well, you know, that's not really there anymore for one reason or another. Uh, so um, these type of organizations have to find other types of ways to find funding, um, you know, why not uh, an American-based company like this? Um, and uh, just to kind of, uh, you know, some of the discussion that was, that was brought up there was even by the, uh, you know, AFP board president uh, herself, and uh, she outlined some things, you know, as far as, you know, what, uh, um, what specifically that they contracted with Coca-Cola as far as the information. Um, that would be get out. That that would get out. That AFP would have total control of that uh, information. Uh, but I think the discussion was like, well, you know, it's the appearance of partnership with a company like Coca-Cola, especially when it comes to public health. Um, so I don't know. Um, we probably confused the audience, but uh, uh, but it is an interesting discussion as far as you know, from the public health standpoint, being advocates for our patients. Uh, when it comes to an issue like this, yeah, and I and I agree with you. I, you know, the thing that uh, struck me, uh, unlike the town hall meetings in uh, the over the over last summer, it was a very civil discussion. Um, and the, these were a group of people that that I think, um, you know, the difficult part is when you're passionate about something. It's how do you put it down on paper that. Uh, that it makes sense to other people so that they understand what your passions are um, and that it's not too general. Um, and I think that was part of the difficulty with the dialogue as well, is that I think this, you know, it's difficult to um, make ground rules uh, for an organization about whom, whom they can and whom they can't uh, partner with um, uh, if we don't have all the information in front of us. And so um, I think... Uh, the, the thing that I was really encouraged about was that there was a very, very democratic process. There was a lot of great dialogue. People um, from many different states spoke up uh, on both sides. And um, I think it's going to be very interesting as it goes forward um, on the national level uh, to see um, how this uh, discussion continues. Uh, so from what I understand, um, you know, what um – you and I think the California Academy is is, is going to be asking for in uh, in the future, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Is, is kind of a you know more transparent type process um, as far as you know we're considering this or we're considering that or um, you know a, a better uh, 
kind of uh, communication, two-way, maybe dialogue when it comes to consideration uh, for partnership with other type of companies. Do I have that right? Yeah, I think transparency is a really important um, element to this. Um, I, as I mentioned, uh, you know, I think those of us who were at the meeting in, in Boston um, in October uh, sort of were shocked uh, that this kind of came out, at least our impression was that it came out of nowhere, and we didn't really have, I guess, an, a, a means to respond to it other than uh, just get up to the microphone and say, say how you feel, and there wasn't really a lot of time to think about it. And I think now that we've had a little bit more time to think about it, you know, I think we want to engage um, the national leadership in this kind of dialogue so that, um, you know, future decisions are not going to have um, the sort of negative impact on membership and the negative impact on, um, on the advocacy things that we're doing on a, on a, on a state or a national level. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, California Academy of Family Physicians, we've been very involved with dialoguing with legislators in our state about some of these public health initiatives, and we've co-authored um, several of the bills that I, uh, that I mentioned that have now been signed into law. And so we, we felt this was really important. It was kind of pie in the face uh, when this announcement was made about Coca-Cola. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, 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 I think we did a decent job. I, 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 one of the reasons I brought Jay on is, is to kind of explain this um, yeah, um, to try to explain this to people outside of, of uh, you know, our organization, just to give people, especially patients, just a kind of a, a look of, of, of uh, some of the interesting discussions that, that come along um, from an organizational standpoint. Um, so, because um, when something like this happens and it kind of hits the lay press, um, you know, I, I don't know. Did, did you get uh, did you get some discussion or backlash or from people not in medicine, like patients, or did they hear about this at all, or they didn't really know about it? Well, um, there were, from what I, from from the social media aspect, I, I certainly saw people posting uh, things from various blogs, uh, health related blogs, uh, that were sh- were shocked actually that the academy had partnered with um, a company like Coca Cola. And, um, uh, you know, and, and kind of making the exact same arguments that I've made, which are the, the public health uh, argument as well as the sort of the conflict of interest argument. And um, I, I don't think it got really picked up um, to uh, a you know, white-hot degree on the national press, but certainly I think in the blogosphere um, I saw um, more than a handful of blog posts regarding this. Yeah, I did see a lot of a lot of uh, twittering at the time that happened, um, and I think what added to um, uh, the news overload at that time is the, you know, um, just to let the audience know is that a lot of this was was happening during uh, the um, healthcare reform debate, um, and uh, I think a lot of that was drowning out a lot of the the health type of news, um, and to let people know that. You know that the healthcare reform issue, in addition to this uh, partnership issue with Coca-Cola, um, it, it really um, uh, got the uh, the National Academy kind of in a tailspin, I think, as far as from a press standpoint um, and from a frustration standpoint from uh, from the members. Um, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, and and I you know I would say if the partnership were were with a company like Kashi. Um, I, I don't know that there would have been the same sort of negative 
uh, out, outroar uh, that there was from membership as well as uh, some, some members of the press. Okay, okay. Um, okay, uh, so I think we've beaten this to death here. So <laughs> uh, why don't we? Uh, why don't we? Uh, we'll, we'll, do, we'll take a little bit of a break here, and uh, we'll talk about fun stuff after the break. We'll talk about social media, and we'll uh, get back more into uh, advocacy, especially uh, for patients, because uh, I really believe that uh, that family physicians are the solution to help with um, healthcare delivery in this country. Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Dr. Anonymous Show live on Block Talk Radio. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Dr. Anonymous Show, live on a Thursday night here on Blog Talk Radio. Um, on the line we have with us right now, uh, Dr. Jay Lee. I do see some uh, some guests here, unregistered guests here in the in the chat room here. It could be uh, some of uh, some of your colleagues here from the uh, California Academy of uh, Family Physicians. There, uh, uh, maybe. Well, why don't you just give them a shout out there and, and tell me just a little bit? Because um, uh, tell me who. Uh, uh, who, who's the person that uh, runs the Facebook page over there? Uh, because I know they gave a uh, they gave a link to the show, and I appreciate that. Yeah, um, his name is Chris Navalta, and um, he is um, my my guy. He he helps me out with um, getting um, my uh, sporadic blog entries uh, posted to uh, the California Academy of Family Physicians uh, website. Um, also, when I've been asked to write articles, he is my contact person, and um, he also helps to manage uh, the uh, the Facebook page. Um, and so, you know, definitely, we'd we'd love to have people uh, like us or uh, <laughs> become our fan. And uh, uh, shout out to Chris; he's doing a, he's doing an awesome job. Uh, so, how, how did you first uh, get into Twitter and social media and that type of thing? You, you, did, did you read blogs or or uh, how did you how did you uh, first learn about it and how did you get into it? Yeah, you, I, I really like the way you describe yourself. By the way, um, as a social media hobbyist, um, I, I, I think that um, uh, would accurately describe me as well. Um, when I, so when I was in public health school, uh, people in my class started talking about something called Facebook, um, and. Yeah, so who's going to use this? Kind of, kind of like back in the early 90s when I got an email account for the first time at school, I said, who's going to use this? I'd rather just walk down the hall and knock on their door or leave them a message on their door or give them a call. Um, and so I opened, I opened an account, and at first it was very much um, a social thing um, and uh, you know, connecting with old friends or connecting with classmates. And I think right around that time – we started to see sort of the media outlets um, catch on to this, be a little bit more savvy about the way they um, uh, allow people to share items, news items, et cetera. 
And, um, and that was right about when healthcare reform was starting to really gain steam. And um, so I started to actually use it to post articles and uh, just kind of put them out there, by and large, usually without comment. And what I found was as my pool of, of Facebook friends was expanding, um, there were more and more comments uh, about these articles. And some people would say, you're crazy, why are you posting this? Um, and other people would say, this is great, I'm, I'm glad you're posting it. And, and there would even be arguments uh, you know, via, via comment uh, between various people about the various merits or uh, negative aspects of healthcare reform. And um, it, it really kind of took on a life of its own, and um, it's actually been really fun uh, to put ideas um, out there. I mean, granted, they're not, they're not all mine, uh, but nonetheless, I'm sort of connecting people to this information, and I feel like it's been kind of fun for me to see how people think, and, um, and you know, in addition to that, it's, it's fun to see people's babies and to see what they're eating for dinner. Uh, and those kinds of things. Uh, and, and I'm looking at your Twitter stream right now, um, and uh, it, you have pretty, pretty good information there, um, some articles and things. Um, there's, uh, the, the, uh, uh, do people in your program there, uh, do, do, they, uh, do they use live social media at all? Or? Yeah, uh, we're... I think a lot of us are on, on Facebook. Um, we do have a Facebook group uh, page uh, primarily for um, alums and whatnot uh, to sort of keep uh, contact with the program, and we, and we update them on, you know, who matches the program and those kinds of things. Um, and, uh, it, uh, you know, again, it's sort of a way for people to stay connected, and um, it's been – I think pretty fun for, for people to kind of see what is going on in each other's lives. And I, I think that makes for a, a tighter workplace. Um, I think people are very aware of the things that they're posting as well and uh, not wanting to post things that are entirely inappropriate um, or unprofessional because uh, that's certainly an issue uh, when you're a physician and you're uh, representing um, your, not only your specialty but also um, you know, uh, good ethics. And um, uh, hopefully people aren't doing that. But um, and then on the on the flip side, um, you know, the, the Twitter thing. I I it's sort of funny. I'm I'm relatively new to Twitter. I dragged my feet on it, but uh, there was someone at CAFP, uh, Jessica Quo, who was the membership uh, uh, strategy person. And I, you know, I'd just become the new physician uh, director, and she said, "Hey, have you thought about being on Twitter?" And um, I, I resisted it, and then I finally joined it. And I find it actually to be incredibly helpful, especially as we're going to meetings and whatnot, to kind of bring information from these meetings directly to people um, who may not otherwise be uh, able to come for whatever reason. And um, also as a way, as a newer way of having a news stream into, so that I don't have to go out and read each newspaper. I actually have um, the news sources in my in my Twitter feed, and that's been incredibly helpful. Um, so, as we come kind of kind of closer to the end of the show here, um, uh, let me pick your brain here a little bit because uh, um, you know, because you and I use a lot of uh, social media. Um, I probably use it too much, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, 
but uh, um, what, are your, what, what are your ideas, and I know we've talked about this before, as far as, you know, for family medicine, family docs, um, to share our story out there with, with patients, with the public, um, and utilizing social media, how can we uh, bring along some of our colleagues to, uh, to help share our story, uh, you know, using, you know, blogs or podcasts or video or Twitter or Facebook, um, you know, to try to reach, uh, you know, try to reach people. Yeah, it, it, it kind of goes back to something that I had mentioned earlier about showing up and um, being present uh, as being part of leadership. Um, it's, it's very clear that social media is being utilized for both good and evil. And, <laughs> and um, you know, I, I, I'd like to think of family physicians as, as wanting to do the right things for their, for their patients and their communities. And um, if we're kind of to really stretch an analogy uh, that's often used at AAFP meetings, which is, you know, if, you're, if, we're, not the, if we're not at the table, we're on the menu, right? And I think that in order to be at the table, we need to speak up and make people know who we are and what we stand for. And um, I think social media is actually a wonderful way to do that. Um, uh, you know, I would say less than half of the people that I'm friends with are not physicians. Um, and I've had some very thoughtful um, messages from people, you know, not on my wall for public consumption, but kind of email messages back and forth asking me questions about, you know, gee, what is it like as a family physician on the ground? Is this healthcare reform stuff good for us? I'm worried about this. Do you think um, this policy change is going to be um, good or bad? And it's just, it allows, it's, it's a different way of dialoguing with people. And I think it, you know, has, it, it, it can be potentially very powerful. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad to see that there's more and more family physicians and medical students that are out there um, sort of uh, waving the flag, saying, hey, we're an important specialty. We're the core of really what people want out of the American healthcare system. I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and uh, I, I think that, uh, um, and a lot of people, especially, you know, in primary care, family medicine, family doctors have said that, um, you know, we as a specialty have uh, allowed ourselves to let other groups uh, be advocates for themselves. Um, and uh, we have really dropped the ball on that. Um, and, you know, we're really trying to play catch up as these other groups are, you know, uh, some of them are very politically savvy um, when it comes to the halls of Congress um, and state uh, legislatures and things and trying to get certain legislation passed, whether it would be uh, for, you know, increased pay or increased um, services or increased scope of practice. Um, and primary care, especially family medicine, have not really done a great job uh, with that, and uh, we're really kind of falling behind. And um, um, and uh, you know, as I go to these meetings, I, I hear a lot of uh, you know frustrated people out there. And when I come home uh, with a lot of apathetic people, there are very uh, uh, frustrated people at home too who. Uh, and I know you've experienced it, uh, that, you know, don't want to do anything. Uh, they are willing to complain. 
but they're not willing to do anything. And uh, it, it's very difficult uh, to try to get people to, uh, to be empowered, to try to take control of their job, their specialty. Um, so I'm just trying to find creative ways of doing that, and I'm seeing that uh, social media can help with that uh, to some point, but I know that you know, uh, social media is only you know, part of the bigger picture. Yeah, and I, and I think that th- that's very true, because I think, you know, I, I forgot who it was, but someone recently posted um, that there was a, you know, a, a, a fan, uh, there was a Facebook group against uh, human atrocities, and, um, you know, they, were, they had like 300 members, and someone's comment was, well, good job. The three of you are really going to reverse human atrocities. And, um, you know, it, maybe you feel good by joining the group, but really ultimately the, the responsibility falls upon you to do something with that um, feeling um, and not just be uh, like that character on, um, on uh, uh, oh, God, I'm blanking on the movie now. Um, in, in any event, um, the, the important thing is to be engaged um, in – um, what it is that you care about, and you know whether that be um, uh, things that you do at home or um, kind of like like what we do in the clinic, we spend a lot of time talking about some of the system issues and one of the things we, that we do is we, we say we ask patients, are you registered to vote? Um, a really, really simple thing that can be done uh, and that can be asked. You know, you ask about the mammogram or whether they've had vaccines, and then you say, are you registered to vote? And they say, well, why is that important? And I said, well, you've been complaining to me about the fact that there's too much violence in your community to be able to go out and walk. You've been complaining to me that, um, you know, there's not enough fresh food choices. Well, do something about it. Don't just complain about it. Get yourselves organized, and, um, you know, this is the first step towards that. And, um, you know, I think that's... If, if we start engaging our patients that way, um, beyond the, you know, the stuff that they just gloss over, like, gee, you really should cut back on the salt, um, you know, then we're actually giving them real solutions for how to get this to happen, and um, it's not going to happen easily. It's, it's, got, it's, it's got to be one patient at a time, one physician at a time, one medical student at a time, uh, one American at a time, uh, that we're going to be able to get to that point. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah, it's very true. Um, and uh, yeah, I remember you mentioning that, and and I totally forgot about that. I have, um, I have to write that down again, and uh, um, you know, use it in my practice like tomorrow, um, because uh, you know I hear a lot of uh, complaining about it uh, too. And uh, um, you know, not getting too political, but I mean, you know, voting is very important. Um, I think this uh, national election in in the fall is going to be very important. Um, um, nationally, but uh, I think even in some local communities as well, uh, whether it's electing people or whether it's uh, levies or whether it's policy issues, um, you know, people really need to uh, to uh, to get out there, no matter what age you are, um, you know, be uh, be part of the solution um, and uh, not uh, part of the problem. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, it, it goes back to uh, something that one of my public health professors said um, during the. <laughs> sort of the beginning stages of healthcare reform uh, when they were saying, well, you know, we've got 46 million uninsured people. If they each gave a dollar to a political action committee to fight on behalf of um, getting better coverage or getting coverage period uh, for people, that would be $46 million. Now, 
go figure out how to organize them. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's the challenge, right? That's the challenge. And, and, and I think that's the thing that I'm trying to wrap my mind around um, and try to figure out. And I, and I think there's a lot of family docs and medical students and uh, people in the healthcare field that are really kind of putting their mind to this and trying to figure out ways to provide good care uh, for uh, their communities and for, for the patients that they see. Uh, yeah, and, and there, you know, there, there's only uh, one group that's harder to organize than people, and that's doctors. Uh, and uh, 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 and it's uh, I've been racking my brain to try to find, you know, I know there's no magic solution, but I'm looking for it um, to try to uh, give our colleagues, um, you know, the, the the power to empower themselves and to to try to help uh, help with the cause. Um, and it's uh, it's very frustrating for me, probably very frustrating for you as well, but. Uh, uh, there's got to be a way that that we can uh, we can try to uh, you know get, get our get our colleagues together and say hey you know we really need to come together on this uh, because there are other groups out there that are fighting against us who are very organized uh, and uh, we have to really try to get our message out the the, the message and the story of family medicine. There's got to be some way that we can do it. Yeah, and as the keynote speaker at one of the uh, lunch meetings uh, that in Kansas City last month said adversity is a terrible thing to waste. And, uh, you know, this is a very adverse time because uh, there's going to be a lot of changes coming down the pipeline. Um, but I think it provides enormous opportunity for family physicians uh, to speak up and to be counted and um, to really provide that important voice on behalf of their patients alongside their patients. All right. Um, so yeah, I think we, we're coming down to our uh, closing moments here uh, of the show. Uh, so uh, I can't think of anything else. Do you have any anything I've forgotten? Any any closing thoughts for us uh, here this evening, uh, Dr. J. Lee, my brother? <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I, I think the the challenge I think for a lot of us is kind of balancing the the part of you that wants to save the world and um, balancing that out with the part of you that um, wants to make your life a better world, um, if, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, kind of balancing those sort of personal needs with family and whatnot and, uh, and, and, and also being present and speaking up and, and trying to do all those things. And, you know, none of us can be everywhere um, at any given time, but together we can all make uh, a difference. And I think, you know, this, this social media is certainly a way for us to be able to connect ideas and people together. And, um, and then, you know, even silly things like these, um, uh, what is it, flash dances where people just get together and they'll just all of a sudden dance on campus or whatever. Like yeah. those kinds of simple things are, are, are sort of funny, but, you know, if you could, tap into that it could be very powerful. So I think, um, you know, there's still a lot that we don't know about social media, um, but I think that uh, family docs can certainly use that uh, for good. Great, great. Uh, so you are a family doc wonk on uh, Twitter. Uh, so how did you come up with that, that Twitter name there? Uh, yeah, I um, – so – the word wonk uh, to me implies that you, you kind of get geeked up about things. And uh, I definitely love um, 
uh, family medicine, and I love being a family physician. And um, the other part of me is the health policy wonk side, um, where I really get geeked up about articles about um, SGR and that um, sustained growth rate or um, healthcare reform. And, um, and, and so I was trying to think of a name that kind of encapsulated uh, who I am as a person and kind of create a little bit of a sort of persona, I guess, online. Um, and um, that was the name I came up with, and um, I'm, I'm sticking to it. I, I like it. No, that's good. That's good. Uh, uh, you know, and, and I'm still, uh, I, I've been bouncing around for the past few years about uh, <clears throat> maybe getting uh, my master's in public health or uh, MBA, master's in business administration or something like that. Like I don't have uh, enough to do, uh, but I've been uh, just talking with uh, some of our colleagues about uh, how cool some of that coursework is. And, uh, um, and as I've been in practice more, I'm getting more and more interested um, in uh uh, in public health, uh, so uh, um, so we'll see what happens with that. Well, I would I would totally encourage you to to look into that. I you know I think that you, we're starting to see a lot more graduates from medical school with dual degrees, um, especially at the local level. We see we see a lot of MD MBAs and a lot of MD MPHs, and um, you know I think it's good that um, medical students are. Uh, Taking it upon themselves to learn about these other aspects that really affect what we can do, what we what we're able to do as physicians uh, on the front lines. All right, well, good. Well, it looks like I lost my audio here, uh, so maybe there's a little bit of a problem. So, <laughs> I think I think our show is over. So, uh, uh, so Dr. Jay Lee, thank you so much for uh, for being on the show here. Um, so, so you blog a little bit for the uh, for the California Academy there? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Okay. Okay. Not, well, you should much. do more. You, you should you should do a little bit more. Maybe even uh, maybe I can bring you back on the podcast here. We can uh, we can uh, really wonk it out. Be be wonk uh, wannabes. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but thank you so much for uh, for being on the show. And uh, this has been this has been a, a blast. Uh, it, it's been uh, it's, it's been a good time. Um, and uh, thanks again to the uh, California Academy of Family Physicians for uh, for giving this little shout out on their uh, Facebook page. Uh, but it's it's been great talk with you. I have to bring you back because this this has been a great conversation. We can uh, we can talk about anything for an hour, and it will be uh, entertaining. I think. <laughs> Thank you. I really I really enjoyed this a lot, and um, uh, you know, looking forward to seeing you on on Facebook, Landia, and Twitterville. Okay, great, great. Well, we'll talk very soon, and uh, you have a good night. All right. Take care. Okay. All right. Uh, all right, kids. So uh, that's my show here for the night. I uh, lost my audio, so uh, don't know what happened. So hopefully, uh, Block Talk Radio is still recording this. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm done here uh, this evening, and I apologize for the end of the show here where I uh, uh, lost the audio here. I thought I extended the show past the top of the hour, but I guess I didn't, or Block Talk Radio didn't uh, hear it, so apologize about that. But I do want to thank my uh, my good friend here, Dr. Uh, Jay Lee, uh, and uh, he is. Uh, I think he pretty. I think he is on the board. Yeah, he's on the board of the California Academy of Family Physicians. He is uh, um, health policy director at the Long Beach Memorial Family Medicine. So, uh, uh, so that's all I have for you here, kids. Uh, so. Uh, uh, Check out DrAnonymous.com for our great shows coming up in June. Uh, it's going to be fun. And uh, go to the blog, DrAnonymous.com, to go to the Facebook page, DrAnonymous.net, and the iTunes page, DrAnonymous.org. So there's no closing song because I don't even know if I'm still on. So uh, I, will, uh, I will say uh, good night, everybody, 
and uh, have a good weekend.